may not know a few of the people on stage, but they're actually all LSU students who have been serving here. Some of them just started serving here. And there's plenty of other uh, students from Lincoln Christian University who come over and are engaging their talents um, in the areas that they're going to hopefully be serving in in the future. So it's just cool to see uh, just the future of the church um, leaders up here. So appreciate their uh, talent. That's the word I'm looking for. So um, this morning we are looking at the week four of our five-week series on the prodigal son. We started uh, with week one, we, these five awakenings. We've been going through different awakenings. The first one is awakening to longing. We talked about um, how we all have these desires, these innate desires and longings as human beings, and that uh, we look to fulfill those desires in different places. In the story of the prodigal son, we see that he fulfills his desires by um, leaving home and going off to a distant country where he lived in wild living. And so we wrestle with the idea of we all have these desires and longings, that, but, but where are we going to place these? Where are we going to find fulfillment in these desires? Week two, we talked about the awakening to regret. It's all about the, the aha moment where that happens often in life whenever we realize that we've made a mistake in some area, that we have um, strayed off the path, that we have um, wronged someone else, that we have walked away from God, that we have um, ultimately sinned in some way. A lot of times with consequences. And that's exactly what happens with the younger son. He wakes up in a, in a pig pen realizing that um, being one of his father's servants would be a better life. And so that's the awakening to regret. Last week we talked about awakening to help. And the reality that we can't do this on our own. That we need others to come alongside us. And ultimately the help of the Father. The younger son realized. He came to his senses. And he chose repentance. He changed his heart and mind to return to the Father. And went there to confess that he had fallen short. And the Father welcomed him. And that kind of brings us to today where we're talking about awakening to love. The awakening to the love of God in our hearts and accepting the love he has for us. And so let's just go ahead and dive in. If you guys want to open your Bibles to Luke 15, we're going to read part of the prodigal son story to get us started off. We're going to start in verse 17 after the younger son had come to his senses. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. And while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said, 
to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And get the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. And so we see the son in his humility and his shame comes home. He makes the decision to act on his regret and come home to the father and confess his sin and hope for the best. And we see a compassionate and loving father who, who opens his arms to his son, even running to him, and who immediately asks his servants to grab a robe, a ring, and sandals. What these symbolize in this culture would be the return and the restoration of a son. The robe would be, in a way, a, a form of rest, that you are you're welcome in this house. The ring would be a return of authority and security. You are my son and you carry the authority of the family. Your inheritance is still yours. And sandals, which normally only those members of the family would wear sandals. So again, it's a sign of acceptance that the slaves would not be wearing sandals and grabbing sandals for this younger son. And so we see the compassionate, loving, gracious response of the father to the younger son who came home. And we read on in verse 25. Now his elder son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf. Because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. And when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. And so we see the response of the, the older brother to the return of the younger son. We see his jealousy and his pride and his arrogance. His frustration that, as he puts it, I've been a slave, I've been a servant to you, I've never disobeyed your commands, and you've never even given me anything. To which the father again says, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. And so we see the reality that even though this is called the parable of the prodigal son, it's really the, the story of two prodigal sons. One who left physically and another who 
left spiritually, I suppose. We see these two sons who, one who thinks that he does not deserve the grace of the Father and one that thinks that he's earned the grace of the Father. What son do you resonate with? What part of this parable speaks to you? Where are you at right now? Are you the younger son who, who has left home, as we've been talking about, finding our way back? Have you never found your way to God? Have you always been on the fringe? Have you, because of your fears and your doubts and your hardships, never taken the step of faith? Never embraced the Father? Or maybe you, you have, but you find yourself lost again and confused. Or maybe you're like the older son who grew up in the faith, who grew up with the father and forgot who his father was, forgot the love that the father has for him. Jesus would have been telling this story as a critique of the Pharisees. The religious leaders of the day were very legalistic. They were concerned about all, following all the laws of, of Torah and the Jewish laws, that many of which they put up boundaries upon boundaries and made up other laws. And they were strict. And anyone who did not keep these laws, they would exclude, just like the older son. And so when Jesus is telling this parable, he's directly critiquing the Pharisees. And essentially saying that they do not share in the father's compassion for his children. Now I want to I want us to take a look at this parable from a little bit dis- different direction than normal. A lot of times we look at this and it's my favorite parable. It's my favorite story, but we look at this and we see, wow, the Father's love is so great. But is it really that crazy that a, that a father or a mother would, would welcome their lost child home? Those of you who are parents, is it really that crazy that you would, if you lost your child, or maybe you have, you've been through this, that you would not with open arms welcome them home? I ask you this morning and submit to you that maybe while this does show an image of the character of God and his love, it doesn't reveal the, just how deep and extravagant his love is for us. That maybe, maybe God's love is even deeper than that of the Father. Don't get me wrong. Like I said, this parable is beautiful, and it has a lot to, to tell us, but it was a critique of the Pharisees. And we find ourselves in a, in a similar story where we're all prodigal in some way, in some area of life. And we find ourselves in a, in a bigger narrative. The narrative that began with creation. That we as humans were given 
made in the image of God, given the authority of God to rule over his creation, and we chose to set it aside for our own desires, for our own longings, for our own assumptions, that we would become like the older son to judge what is right right and wrong instead of leaving that for God to decide. The reality is we can't talk about God's love for us. We can't talk about the, the love of the father towards his prodigal children without talking about Jesus. The father's love in this parable is great, but it's only a shadow of the love shown by our God on the cross. And so I want to take us through the passage that we read during communion. If you would turn over to 2 Corinthians 5. We're going to read and wrestle with this a little bit deeper to hopefully understand a little bit more of what God, God's love is for us and how far he went to bring us home. So 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 14, we're going to go to verse 21. And I'm going to pause a couple times. For the love of Christ urges us on, because we are convinced that one has died for all, and therefore all have died. This is Paul speaking to the Corinthian church, who in many ways, they were the, the troublemakers. There's, we have two recorded letters. There's Some scholars say there was a third that was lost. And anybody that Paul writes three letters to is probably getting some things wrong. But Paul tells the Corinthian church that the love of Christ urges them on, that the love of Christ compels us. And for this reason, because we're convinced that that one has died for all, Jesus died for everyone and therefore all have died. There is no one that the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross did not touch. And therefore, all of us who are are in Christ have died with him. It's a theme throughout lots of the New Testament. Verse 15, and, and he, Jesus, died for all so that those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for them. We see here in verse 15, Jesus died so that we may live, but not live for ourselves, but live in the life and the love of the Father. By whose power we are raised. Verse 16. This is the turning point of this passage. This is the therefore. This is the reason. This is what changes. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. Because of Jesus' death, because of the sacrifice of our God on the cross, Everyone is invited to be new, to be a new creation. To die to their old self. 
to leave all of that behind, to leave all of the mistakes and the, the prodigal regrets and longings behind and embrace the identity of that of one who is in Christ. This is the same thing that happens when the Father gives the Son the robe and the ring and the shoes, restoring Him to sonship. Restoring Him as a child of God. Paul goes on in verse 18, All this is from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. We're going to talk a little bit next week of the life we have and what that means, that we're called to a ministry of reconciliation, that we're called to the message of reconciliation. But the links that God went by sending his son was to reconcile the entire world, all of us, all of humanity, humanity all of us, uh, in our fallenness, in our rebellion, he pursued us. And so in, in, the, in the parable of the prodigal sons, the father runs out to the younger son and he goes out to the older son. But for us, because of Jesus, it's even more radical than that. Paul has a lot to say about this in Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 19. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. The almighty infinite God became finite in the human person of Jesus, came into our world to pursue us, to be in a relationship with us, and ultimately, as we see in verse 20, and through, through him God reconciled everything to himself, he made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God, us who were once far away from God. We were his enemies, separated from him by our evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled us to himself through the death of Christ and his physical body. As a result, he has brought you and me into his presence. We are holy and blameless as we stand before him without a single fault. Verse 20 of 2 Corinthians 5. So we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. We see here in 2 Corinthians 5 that God is not holding our sin against us. Just as he did not hold the sin of his prodigal sons against them, he simply invited them back into relationship with him with open arms. You see, most of us 
if we're the younger son, we feel like we don't deserve God's love. And we tell ourselves that. And if we're the older son, we think we're good enough or we have the attitude that we've done enough or we've been around enough or we've been faithful enough that we deserve the inheritance and the love that comes from God. And the reality is it's not what we do that saves us, good or bad. It's our relationship with our Father. I'm going to repeat that again because it's really crucial. It's not what we do that saves us. It's not the mistakes we make or the faithfulness that we live by that saves us. It is our relationship with our Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. It was not the things that the prodigal sons did that saved them, but it was the fact that their father was good and loving and kind and gracious. It was the character of the father who invited them into a deeper relationship. And so we are called children of God. As I said, the, the infinite God became man. And the finite man of Jesus, who is also God, became sin for us. He became the thing that was opposite of himself. However that works. He was made to be sin for us. And he died for us. So that we might know, know love. That we might know life. That we might know that the God of the universe relentlessly pursues us no matter where we're at no matter if we think we don't deserve it or we think we do because of God's love we're made new we're given new identities in Christ that's one of Paul's favorite things to say in Christ what does that mean our identities are remade into the likeness of Christ we are Given the inheritance and the authority is renewed that just like at the beginning of creation, we are again called to be the image of God on this earth. And so as, as I come to a close today, I ask you, where are you at? In what stage of the journey are you at? Are you far from God? Do you doubt his promises? You see, we have this picture of God oftentimes as a judge in a courtroom who's holding us guilty. And because of Jesus, our attorney, we, we get off the hook. And then we just try and keep out of trouble the rest of our lives. We just don't want to be condemned by the law. We don't want to make mistakes anymore. 
And while there is a place in Scripture for God as judge, and that image is good in some ways, the reality is God is the one who pursued us in sending Jesus to reconcile our rebellion back to himself, that we might know love and we might know life, that we would find ourselves with him, that we might find ourselves in Christ and in the life of God. And so I ask you again, where are you at in your journey? Do you need to come home? Maybe you've been living unfaithfully in your relationship with Jesus and you need to come home to the love. Romans 8 said there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus and if that's you, you need to know there is no condemnation. Come home to the Father and start living in relationship to Him. See, salvation in the New Testament is a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's like a marriage. You say, I do. And if, there's, if the story of Israel is anything, and the story of, of the New Testament and, and our sins is anything, and if then God will always take us back. We're only willing to Accept his invitation. Maybe you're like the older son. Maybe you've known God forever and you're growing bitter of those who seem to take God's grace and squander it. Maybe you think that there are people here who shouldn't be here. People who God cannot redeem. Maybe that's you. And the reality is there is no one that God cannot redeem, including you. So I encourage you to come home to the love of the Father. Let go of the feeling that you deserve anything. And embrace the grace of God and extend it to others as Jesus did on the cross. What's holding you back? You know, this series is called Finding Your Way Back to God, but the reality is it's more like awakening to the realization that God has been with us the whole time. He's never been far from us. That His love is present with us. His Spirit is working in our hearts. There's nothing that can separate you from that. So embrace the love of the Father. Come home. Will you pray with me? Abba, Father. We thank you for your love. We thank you for second chances. We thank you for your grace and your love that 
that knows no bounds, that we, can, we cannot even fathom, that, that, that pursues us, no matter where we are. We thank you for the identity that, that we inherit as your sons and daughters because of that love. That grace is more than just forgiveness, but it is life and life abundant. Lord, I pray that those of us in this room who, who doubt your love or doubt that, that you can bring them back, that you would accept them. I pray that you would demolish that stronghold, that in the name of Jesus, that they would know that they are loved and that their identity is in your son. They are a new creation. Father, those of us with hard hearts who find ourselves doubting your love and forgetting who you are and condemning others, I, I pray that you would soften our hearts. Make yourself known to us that we might realize just how unworthy we are and that you still extend grace to us. What we do doesn't matter. It's the fact that we're your son and your daughter, that you call us those things, that you long for us. That is what matters. Spirit, be working in our hearts to, to move us closer to you, to renew in our minds and our hearts the reality of, of your love and the new creations that we are, Father. May your name be made holy and your will and your kingdom done, be, be done in our lives. Awaken us to your love that knows no end. It's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. As we uh, come to this time of invitation, I would just invite any of you who find yourself lost on your journey back to God, whether you're a younger son or an older son, whether you feel like you don't deserve God's love or you